We start in John 20, verse 1, and we'll read, I'll read through verse 29 and follow along. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 906 in your pew Bible. John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus, Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she went, wept, she stopped, stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and, he, and that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, see, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days, eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet have believed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your love and your care for us. Uh, we thank you again for preserving your word 
uh, that it um, uh, may be preached uh, to us on, a, on, on, on Sundays as we gather as a faithful congregation. And uh, pray for Pastor Brian today, Lord, that you would uh, help him recall the material that he prepared and what you've laid on his heart and mind um, during his study, Lord, that you'd give him boldness. Uh, Father, the, the points of important e emphasis that they would come through clear um, to us as we listen, Lord. And uh, we pray that we would, uh, again, um, be attuned to the words that he is preaching, Lord, for he is um, sharing uh, your truth uh, with your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, thank you, Brady, for reading our text today, for the prayers that you give to us as we approach God's Word. Our desire is to come here and to see the glory of Jesus Christ in the second-to-last chapter and the second-to-last sermon out of John. So we're coming to the end of John and seeing uh, the proclamation of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And uh, we started this year in Genesis um, and work through uh, first seven chapters or so of Genesis, seeing how God has proclaimed Jesus there. And then we've come to the Gospel of John, and we've seen, hopefully you've seen and experienced how God has proclaimed Jesus through the Apostle John here in his writing of his Gospel. And then uh, next, after next week, we'll be going to the book of Revelation to see how in the end God proclaims his Son, Jesus Christ. And so we see that, that in that, we can affirm with Jesus in Luke chapter 24 that Moses and the prophets, and ultimately all Scripture is really about Him, really centers on Jesus Christ. And here in the Gospel of John specifically, we've seen how John's desire is to share the fact that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. In fact, we come to our text this morning, and at the very end of that text, we see this purpose. So go to verse 30. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. We're going to see that played out here, specifically in this chapter, and then in turn, we should be challenged to be that kind of, uh, uh, to live that kind of life and be this kind of proclamation of the truth, calling others to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But before we do so, would you join me as I pray? Father, teach us your ways that we may keep them to the end. Give us understanding that we might keep your laws, that we might observe them with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that all of us might be committed to demonstrating our love to you as we, as we accept your word, as we hear it, as we see it, as we learn from it, as we to know it, that ultimately we are able to see and know you. And so may our whole hearts be drawn to you through your word today. Lord, lead us in the paths that you have for us. Be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that we might delight in your word today. Turn our hearts to you. Lord, there's so many distractions that pull on us. Oh Lord, this morning may we set our, our, our minds afresh in in, uh, with you at the center, may we set our, our affections, our hearts afresh with you at the center, and may those distractions uh, be, be turned away from, and that, that all these things in life that pull upon us, may, may we give ourselves to them only as we give ourselves to you first, or the good things of, of family and work, Lord, may, may they be an outgrowth of our uh, of our inclination towards you and you as the center. May we serve you in all of them. 
turn us from worthless things because you are the one who gives life. These other things can promise life to us, but they do not give them. Only you give life. So turn us toward you this morning. Lord, turn us toward your ways. For in your righteousness, you give us life. And your righteousness is most gloriously seen in your Son, Jesus Christ. So turn our hearts and minds, our eyes to Him. Lord, we, we don't pray this only for ourselves, but we pray this for all the churches across the globe that are meeting and have met. When we pray specifically for some churches here in our area that have met, we pray for Manuka Bible Church with Pastor Errol and Brent and Carlos and Jason and David. They've got a lot of pastors. Lord, we pray that as they come and open Your Word, oh, that their people may be blessed, that they might faithfully present Your precepts and the righteousness of Your Son, Jesus Christ, so that they all may live through Him. We pray for Second Baptist Church and Pastor Larry Tyler. Lord, as he opens up your word today, Lord, may he point people to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your grace. As Paul wrote before his letters, grace and peace. And so we come to your word looking for grace and peace today. And I know that it is there and we will find it. For you are a gracious God who brings peace through your Son. And in His name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, our main point for uh, the chapter 20 is we proclaim Jesus Christ our Lord, who rose again on the third day. We proclaim Jesus Christ our Lord, who rose again on the third day. As we come to this chapter, we've walked through the entire book of John, the entire gospel of John. And throughout it, there's this been, this been an anticipation of Jesus taking on his glory and demonstrating his glory to us. But as we got towards the end, we began to realize that his glory was actually going to be revealed through the cross, through his death. He was going to demonstrate His glory. And then in turn, we saw that this, this amazing man, Jesus, who's done all these miracles, he's spoken these wonderfully uh, encouraging and truthful statements, who, who, who spent time with His disciples, even humbling Himself to, to disrobing and washing their feet. This one who, who has prayed over them about their future ministry, carrying on the ministry that He is going to leave for them. This one died on the cross. We put ourselves in their position like, is it over? Not necessarily to say they, they just abandon all that Jesus ever taught. They're like, well, He taught a lot of good things and He did a lot of good things. But is that it? Do we, just, do we now spread a message of our dead teacher? Because in fact, that's how it's always been. What did the people do after Moses died? They sought to carry on his message that he received from God. And so Joshua takes the mantle and he carries it. And he carries it fairly well, but then it goes to the judges and they don't carry it well at all. And then in turn, we have the kings that are set up. But guess what? Every one of them died. And so it, it shouldn't be terribly surprising to us that the disciples are like, this is how it's always been, so this is how it is. So we're going to seek to proclaim our dead teacher's message, but we're scared, we're afraid. We're hiding out. We're not really sure what to do next because, well, like past history, God's message wasn't always accepted by the Jews. So they're not sure what to do. Here they are, huddled, afraid, buried, 
their dead teacher. What will happen next? And in turn, John has set it up that way in his gospel as well. Why? Because that's what happens. Jesus taught about all sorts of things, and, and John has alluded to the fact, tear down this temple in three days, and I will raise it back up. It's going to happen. The Son of God is going to have to go and die. Teaches his disciples this. And then we come to chapter 20. Jesus is dead. Jesus is laying in the tomb. But then we read on the first day of the week, it would be Sunday. The reason we come together as God's people on Sunday starts because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. It's interesting. We celebrate Easter once a year. We celebrate Christmas once a year. We celebrate the resurrection every week when we come together on Sunday. It's amazing how significant the resurrection really is. We come together on Sunday because we worship a resurrected God. And Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. She comes sad. She comes thinking Jesus is dead. We're not told exactly the reason that she comes and seeking to connect this John's telling with the, the other Gospels that maybe that Mary has come much earlier than the other women. We know that other women come as well. Or maybe, maybe John just leaves out the other women to emphasize Mary because Mary is going to be the one that talks with Jesus in a few minutes. She comes. She sees the stone has been taken away from the tomb. And she doesn't know what's happened. That doesn't tell us that she looks in. She runs back to the disciples and tells them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Her first response isn't, he's risen! Her first response is, they've taken him! We don't know where he is! The stone's been moved away and now he's not there. So Peter and Probably John, because John hasn't named himself throughout the gospel, so this other disciple is probably John. That's the way he humbly refers to himself. Go running to the tomb, and John's faster. Some people think that's because he was younger. I don't know. Maybe he was just more athletic than Peter. But he gets there first, and he stops at the door, and he sees. He sees the, 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 the wrappings and the spices there. But no body. And Peter turned. He doesn't just wait at the door. He runs right in. And so John then follows him and he sees not just the wrappings, but the head covering is folded there. Where is Jesus? These men began to consider. John doesn't tell us what Peter thinks. But he does tell us what he thinks. He says in verse 8, And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. And that's the first point this morning. The resurrection produced belief. Jesus' message led up to this point in history. That to encompass a full gospel is to embrace the fact that Jesus Christ was no longer dead on the first day of the week. That on the third day, He rose again. And unlike Lazarus, who Jesus called forth from the dead, and how did He come out? You guys remember? He comes out with all his bandages still on. I don't know how. He wobbled out like a penguin. I don't know. But, but this is different. The bandages are all there. But the body is gone. This wasn't by the power of someone else, but by the power of God Himself. Jesus Christ 
He lays down his life and he raises it up again. And what we are told here, first of all, is that John makes it to the tomb. He sees it and there's no other explanation in his mind. He believes that Jesus is risen. He hasn't understood everything. In his humility, again, he writes in verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't understand how all the Old Testament had pointed to this. Had pointed to the fact that the Messiah that God gives would live forever and reign forever. Maybe it's possible that they just thought in the same terms that Martha had about the resurrection when Jesus began to talk to her about her dead brother Lazarus. Well, I believe in a resurrection. All the dead will rise again one day. She says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm the resurrection and life, and you're going to see it right now. Lazarus, come forth. That's what happens. And now we come again to to this instance, and here it is, the... The disciples are not just challenged with a general resurrection that maybe they thought Jesus had been proclaiming about himself, but the fact that Jesus had just risen again now, on the first day. Utterly amazing. But the belief of John is not the only belief emphasized in this chapter. In fact, this whole chapter is pushing towards that theme that John gives. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. And so not only John is said to believe here, but then we read that Mary is said to believe. Mary had run away and told Peter and John, and now she comes back to the tomb. In verse 11, and as she comes to the tomb, she looks in now. And when she looks in, she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they say to her, women, why are you weeping? Before, and she replies, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. It's very interesting, right? But it's very human. There's two angels, (laughs) you know, dazzling white here, asking her why she's weeping. And she's like, still like they've taken him. I don't know where he is. She's so overcome by the grief that she can't seem to move on and, 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 and take in and embrace what she has seen. Here again, Peter and John, they see, they see all the, the grave clothes laying there, and they're like, he's risen. She sees the grave clothes and angels, and yet she's still locked in on this idea that someone has taken him. And then, before she can say anything more, someone is standing behind her, and so she turns around and she sees Jesus. And he asks the same question. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Again, so racked with, his, with her grief, tears in her eyes. Maybe she can't see, see clearly. Or, or maybe, maybe there's, there's an aspect in which Jesus and his glorious body is both recognizable and unrecognizable. She doesn't really recognize him. So it says here, John says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. That is a bold question. In fact, uh, later on in in about A.D. 41, uh, taking a body out of a tomb, or even breaking the seal of the rock on the tomb was actually a capital offense in Rome. This is a serious thing, a serious accusation. And yet, overcome by her grief, she is willing to ask such a question in order to be able to take care of him and show them the respect that she felt Jesus deserved. In 16, we see Jesus said to her, Mary. And in saying her name, maybe it's a connection to what John has already told us that Jesus is the great shepherd and he knows his sheep by name and when the sheep hear his voice they recognize him. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic Rabboni which means teacher. She believes. 
That's what that statement is meant to tell us. She believes that this is Jesus standing in front of her. So, so enraptured by this that Jesus has to tell her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, and I'll deal with that in a minute. But that so enraptured by this, her desire is to reach out and hold on to Jesus. She believes that he is risen. But not only that, we see the belief of the disciples as well. So after this, we see that Jesus appears to the disciples on the same evening, the first day of the week. The doors are locked. Why? Because the disciples are afraid. They're fearful of the Jews. They think that they are next. They are next on the hit list of the Jewish leaders. And so they're hiding away, meeting, and Jesus came to them and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he said this, and when he showed them his hands and his sides, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Again, they believed. This is really him. He is not dead. He is alive. In fact, they were not the, uh, they, they, were, uh, they, they were all there except Thomas. And we read in verse 24 that they were meeting, uh, they were going to meet again the next Sunday. Uh, in verse 26, it tells us that, that eight days later, it's counting that Sunday. So Sunday to Sunday, eight days. And Jesus appears again, and he appears to Thomas. And we're told that when Thomas heard about Jesus appearing, he said, unless I see the hands and the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What does that tell us? Well, all the other disciples, they are believing This belief is this glad, joyful response to the fact that Jesus truly is risen. Yet Thomas, resisting just the word, says, I need to see him for myself. And Jesus appears that next Sunday. He says to Thomas, verse 27, put your fingers here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. The word Lord there is not just a general reference to him being uh, 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 higher than Thomas, but rather it is meant to be connected with what John says that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Adonai. That when when Thomas uses that, he's saying, you are the king. You are God's eternal king that he has promised to send to save his people. Thomas believes. In fact, we might say that this chapter is the climax of the whole entire gospel and this phrase that thomas gives is the climax of this chapter thomas proclaiming my lord my god in turn this is what john desires everyone who reads this gospel to proclaim to believe this very truth. My Lord, eternal King, promised in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ, you are Him, Jesus. But not only that, my God, believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. He is truly divine second person of the Trinity, sharing in the entire essence of Godness. Thomas believes. 
He believes that Jesus is the suffering Savior who has now risen to give life, to conquer death. He is the forever Lord. He is the eternal God. But not only does the resurrection produce belief, the resurrection produces a message. The resurrection produced a message. In John's belief, we see, verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And there's this implication here of this message that has existed throughout all of history. This message that has existed from the beginning. That That the Savior that would be sent would suffer, but then would rise again. His heel would be bruised. But he would rise up to crush the serpent's head. We see this all the way back in Genesis. That there is this message of hope found only in the one that God would send. But more specifically, we see the message as Jesus speaks to Mary. Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. He's in the process of ascending and will ultimately see Him ascending into the heavens. But He's not yet there. His desire is not for her to cling to Him because somehow there's some temporal issue going on with Him and His glorified body. But rather, He has a mission for her. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Do not cling to Me, but go to My brothers. I'm not leaving yet. I'm going to ascend to the Father, but not quite yet. It's coming. We have time, but I need you to go. And what, is, what does he want her to tell them? I am ascending to my your Father, to my God and your God. It's an amazing message here that he is sending to his disciples. That he is back, he is risen. But that in His death and resurrection, what has happened? He has created this relationship. This relationship that He had promised in His prayer. That they may be one as we are one. And now He says, it's my Father and your Father. And He is my God and your God. This relationship that now exists between Jesus' disciples and the Father, worked out through Jesus Christ. That's amazing the way uh, Jesus says this and the way John records this. It affirms both a similarity and a dissimilarity. Because Jesus saves us. He doesn't make us gods like Him. There's some religions that believe that we can attain godness, but that's not what's being described here. Rather, he allows for a similarity in that we will now have this relationship with God like, similar to the relationship that Jesus has. But notice the dissimilarity. He is my Father and your Father. Rather than just saying, He is our Father. Our Father? Oh, we're all here. No, He's my Father. And now through my death, Through my resurrection, through my work that no one else could do, He is now also your Father. You can have a relationship with Him as Father through me. He is my God, and now He is your God as well. Both a similarity and a dissimilarity. This message, though, is one that is ultimately conveyed in Jesus appearing to to the disciples. Now, part of it was, I think, because of fear that Jesus says, peace to you. But it's significant that he not only says it once, he says it twice. It was to assuage some of their fear. They were again gathering locked doors because of fear. And yet there's more to it than that. Jesus is the peace by which they might have a right standing before God. 
peace be with you. Maybe the first one you could say is to assuage their fears, but the second one is definitely connected to what he says next. And this is part of this message that's produced by the resurrection as well. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You are now a part of this mission. You are a part of this family. You have been brought in. It's your Father because He is my Father, and He sending me now means I will send you. We have this peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ that ultimately leads Jesus to say in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now some people have taken that verse and sought to do a lot of things with it, but I think it's helpful to understand that there is a, there is a uh, passivity in the verbs that are presented here, that as we forgive the sins of any, was to say they are forgiven them, not by themselves, not by us. Ultimately, through the passive, we can see that they should, we should connect this forgiveness back to God. God is the one who ultimately forgives. Forgiveness of sin doesn't come by our effort, doesn't come by their effort. We are passive in the process. Rather, God, through Jesus Christ, forgives our sins. So how should we then understand if you forgive the sins of any? I think we need to understand that in connection with our responsibility, which is to take this message and share this message And as we share this message, as they hear the message of the resurrected Jesus who died to pay for the sins, who rose again to give life, as we take this message of the gospel to others and they receive that message, God in turn forgives sins. And as they do not receive that message or maybe even do not hear it from us, if we withhold forgiveness from any. It is withheld from them. For without the message of the gospel, without the belief in the resurrected Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. In fact, we read in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as we look at that text, how is that forgiveness granted? The confession itself is not the foundation of it, but rather we are told in two verses earlier, it is the blood of Jesus Christ. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That ultimately that is the foundation. The death And now the resurrection are what is necessary for belief. And in turn, the message of the dead but now risen Jesus Christ is this, that there is forgiveness of sins. There is peace with God. There is a relationship now with the Father He is your Father. He is your God. And that comes through this message of the resurrected Jesus. It comes to us through Him. But not only that, we see in that confession of Thomas, my Lord and my God, another aspect of the message. What is John saying? We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God of God, that He is Lord and He is God. That is part of this message. If Jesus is just a man who died on a cross and who rose again, He doesn't really have power to save us from sin. Lazarus rose from the dead. Lazarus didn't have power to save us from sin. It's because Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. That He is able to give us this relationship. He's able to bring about this peace. He's able to grant us this forgiveness. That if Jesus were less than the Christ and less than the Son of God, we would have no salvation. None. This is the message. So it's all come, all come to this chapter, this, this fullness of the gospel. That Jesus was sent by God. 
as the Word who is with God, who became flesh, who lived among us perfectly. And we have seen, we've seen throughout the Gospel of John how Jesus lived without sin, how He was dependent on the Father, how He fulfilled the Scriptures, how He did all these miraculous signs and works, how He taught the truth, and how He came and died and was buried. The full gospel is not done until he rises again. Jesus rose so that now we have this message that we can believe and therefore gain our salvation. That Jesus Christ is Lord, is God. That is our message. And in turn, number three, the resurrection produces a commission. Or you could say that the, the resurrection produces messengers, if you like that better. I was trying to work through that in my mind, which one I like better. I stick with commission. He gives us our commission. Because of this belief and because of this message, we are commissioned. And so we see the commissioning of Mary in chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, we see here told to go. And Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. She told them what Jesus has said. She was told to go. She was commissioned on an errand, and she went. And then we see with the disciples... Verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. There's a responsibility placed upon the disciples to carry on the mission that Jesus Christ has begun. It's not a new mission. They're not new Christs or anything like that. Rather, they are meant to fulfill the mission of Jesus by taking this gospel, this message of the resurrected Jesus to anyone. So we see, if you forgive the sins of any, any, go to any, I'm sending you to any to tell them this message. He gives them a symbol of the empowerment that they're going to have. Again, it's not, it's not some empowerment that they have on their own to complete this mission. It's a furtherance of Jesus' mission, and Jesus is going to empower them for this mission. He's already promised them that He is going to send the Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to come and empower them for their ministry. And so here, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Some, thinks this is, some think this is the way that John refers to Pentecost, but I, I don't think that really fits the context here. Rather, I see this as this symbolic act of Jesus in reference to the upcoming Pentecost, similar to the way Jesus symbolically represented His cleansing of sin that He was going to do on the cross by washing His disciples' feet. The washing didn't cleanse them of their sin. The cross did, but the washing was symbolic of what was to come. And so the same way here, Jesus breathed on them as a symbol of what was going to come. The breath of God, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity is going to come and empower you. And we see in Acts that that occurs on the day of Pentecost. And this is a symbol. He's going to leave them before that happens, and yet they have this assurity that it will come. And so in turn, they have been given this commission, which we also see after Thomas himself gives his statement of belief, my Lord and my God. In verse 29, Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? That could be a question or it could be a statement. Um, ESV translates it as a question. I don't think it's necessarily meant 
for us to see a, a huge rebuke here at all of Thomas, just stating the fact. Jesus is saying, you've believed because you've seen. And that's happened throughout the Gospel of John. People have believed because they've seen. Why don't you believe because you've seen, Jesus often asks. But ultimately, it leads, it's ultimately there to lead us to the next statement. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Who is he referring to here? Mary's seen. (laughs) The rest of the disciples have seen. Who is this going to be? Us. All the believers that come afterwards. He's affirming here that there are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not everyone is going to experience that. In turn, they're not going to see, and yet they're going to believe. How? Well, John told us back in chapter 17, verse 20, when Jesus prayed, He prayed, I do not ask for these only, speaking of the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. This refers to everyone who's picked up the gospel of John and read through it and believed. This is John's whole point of his gospel. I'm writing this so that you might read it and believe. We say, blessed are those. You are blessed by God. Oh, the blessing of knowing the gospel and believing the blessing that God has recorded these events faithfully transmitted through someone like John so that we might read it and believe. But it's not just the word of the gospel coming from this book, but it's the word that comes through God's people as well as we share the gospel. And this is the... This points to the necessity of evangelism. As Paul said in Romans chapter 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? We see that. They need to believe, right? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We have a commission given to us by Jesus. You know, this is, this is the great commission recorded by John. Although the, the, the great commission recorded by Matthew will come later on as Jesus is with his disciples in his glorified body. But here is where John records this commission. So I am sending you. We are meant to feel the weight of that as much as the twelve. As much as the other disciples that were standing in that room. Just as Jesus has sent them upon their belief in receiving the message of a resurrected Jesus, so as we have believed and accepted the message of a resurrected Jesus, we are now commissioned to go and to share the gospel, the good news, so that people might hear, so that in hearing they might believe, so that in believing they might call out on the name of the Lord. And with Thomas declare, my Lord, my God, as they affirm Jesus Christ. This is the point John leads us to. The point of his book. The point by which we should respond as well. First of all, we should know that Jesus is our risen Savior, the Christ, the Son of God. I've written this so that you might believe. This is what we stake our life upon as Christians. There is no Christianity, no hope of eternal life apart 
from Jesus Christ being the Son of God risen from the dead. There's nothing. So we stake our life on this. We have to know this and in knowing it, believe in it. But in turn, how do we walk, continue to believe this message? We should live every day, reminded every Sunday as we meet of the resurrected Lord. And so He has granted us new life to live. What does He say? That in believing you may have life in His name. There's a new life we are meant to live. We have been commissioned to live out the mission of Jesus every day of our Christian life. Every day, proclaiming Jesus has risen. That means believing that message every day in our hearts, in our minds. It affects everything that we think and everything that we then do. And therefore, it comes out of us in sharing that message with others. Forgiveness of sin, peace with God, a part of the family where God is your Father. This comes through Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God, and He can be your Lord and your God too. Believe in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. the glory revealed in Jesus Christ. For apart from Him, we have no salvation. Oh, but He is real and true. And He is alive, now seated at Your right hand, our resurrected Savior. He is the forever King and forever God. And today we can worship Him. And today we can proclaim Him. We can know Him. Lord, I pray that we would bask in His goodness and glory. And that in turn, as we, as we continue to believe in our resurrected Lord, that we would then tell others. We would share with them the hope of glory found in Jesus Christ alone. Pray this in His name. Amen.